back, everybody, for another episode of the Untitled Jeff Buck Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Buck, and I'm sitting at Pocono Raceway in a little radio room, uh, one of the many interview rooms they have here at the Pocono Media Center, and I am joined by my friend from the Pocono Record, Zach Sterniello. Zach, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, it's fun to be on the uh, podcast here with you. I listen like every to every one you publish, so to actually be on here is pretty fun. Well, now I feel more pressure to make sure that you have a good time. Um, so obviously, you know how these work. We'll talk a little about a little bit about the uh, the race that we just saw, and we will give a guess for the poll results, and we'll come up with a fun hashtag and. First, I guess we should just start by talking about the guy who won the race, Kyle Busch. Now, obviously, a lot had been made out of the fact that he hadn't won in uh, over a year. He never won at Pocono. I'm sure most people who are listening to this now are just like beating their heads against the wall because I have a feeling NBC said that quite a few times. Um, and so they, they're probably tired of hearing that. But the bottom line is I think that that actually – I think everybody's been talking about that, right? And everybody had been talking about how Joe Gibbs Racing hadn't won all year until a couple weeks ago. And I think people got so talking about, oh, they haven't won, that people kind of thought, forgot that Kyle Busch is actually like a championship contender. He's running extremely well. He's uh, been beating Martin Truex Jr. I mean, he could have won the Brickyard last week. So seems to me that Kyle Busch uh, is in a pretty good position, and not just because he won the race, but he's he's running pretty well right now. Well, he's been running well all season long, and it's just been a matter of when is he going to get it? When is he going to get it? And he's finally gotten it. And I feel like this could open the floodgates to more success for him. It could be just more of the same going forward. Watkins Glen is a good track for him. Uh, Michigan, he doesn't... It's not like he... I don't think he runs poorly anywhere that we go. So I, I really feel like he can really establish himself as a legitimate title contender now if... If he is able to really build on this momentum, yeah, I mean, I agree. I I really do think that he could sort of break off a, a streak here. Watkins Glen is sort of its own animal, and it's going to be all mixed up with the different strategies and stuff. But you know, Michigan, as you mentioned, obviously, if he's running uh, pretty well at Indy and um, Pocono, he's probably going to be decent at Michigan, and then um, Bristol. I mean, geez, like he's great at Bristol typically. Darlington, he's won there before. Richmond, he's outstanding at Richmond. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, going into uh, the playoffs here, he could really be adding a lot more playoff points than the, let's see, 13 that he has right now, which is tied for the third most. I, I really think that the way that he's run all season long and and the kind of heartbreak, I guess, of how last year's ended and how this year started – I feel like that's just going to fuel him more and more. You've, you've seen how competitive he, he's been all season long, just mentally. Uh, he's, he's been ready to win for forever. I mean, obviously, like everyone's been talking about, it's been the longest winless streak of his career. Um, I feel like, I don't know if he necessarily has anything to prove, but I think there's certainly a chip on his shoulder to, to go out there and, and to really show that he is a championship contender not just a playoff guy well one thing that was interesting was i was listening to his radio um as the race was winding down so he crossed the finish line right and 
I think like the spotter says like finally Pocono and then Adam Stevens comes on. He's saying something, nothing from Kyle, just like silence. Then after a while, Kyle's like, yeah, way to go guys. You know, great call today. Like super calm, like almost like it was a, not, not his like walk in the park truck series mentality, but like he just didn't, he wasn't yelling, wasn't screaming like way to go guys. Great job. It was just like super calm. And I asked him about it afterwards and it seemed like I think his overriding emotion was more of let's just like relief, like, whoo, like, okay, we've won now. We don't have to talk about this. You know, now we can go out and win more. Cause I think, you know, especially for an ultra competitive guy like that to be reminded all the time that you haven't won, you haven't won, you haven't won. And when there's late cautions or things that happen that take a, take away from his winning, uh, that really probably eats at him. So um, it was it was kind of an odd reaction, though, don't you think? No, for sure. And I think you phrased it right when you asked him. It was such a subdued reaction. It was so, like you said, it was relief. That's all it was. And it was like, you know, finally he got it done. But like he said in his presser, he got that monkey off his back. It wasn't just winning in 2017. It was winning at Pocono. It was really sealing the deal at a track that he had had trouble uh, finishing off a race for so long anyway. There were so many different races that here that he could have won. You think back to 2015 when he ran out of gas. Um, there were so many different times where he had a chance to, to win here, and he finally got it done. He did it after finding so many different ways to lose that I feel like this one was just, okay, we finally got it done. Let's just move on. Let's let's do what we know how to do for the rest of the year. So by Kyle Busch winning, that meant that Martin Truex Jr. didn't win, which essentially was a failure of a gamble that they tried at the end of stage two. Now, I thought that was odd at the time. Um, Nate Ryan, who was sitting next to me from NBC Sports, was kind of disagreeing with me at the time and saying, well, no, you know, they're going for the win. And But my thought was, look, they've, they've got... 29 playoff points. They've seemed to be going through for playoff points all year in these stage wins. Why wouldn't you just get the easy stage win? They were about to win it. And then they end up with nothing. And it's sort of like, I don't know. I just didn't really get that from Truex's standpoint. And I know everybody's saying, well, you know, they could have gotten five points instead of one point, but damn it's That's the kind of thing you do when you're behind, not when you're leading it. That's my take anyway. What I don't understand is they've gone out and they've swept races before where they've won each of the three stages of the race. What made today's stage two any different than any other one? I, And I know he brought in a whole slew of guys with him at the end of stage two there before the pits closed. So it's not like he was alone, but he didn't need to make that gamble when he could very easily have made it to the end of the stage with plenty of gas and gotten the playoff point and been on a winning strategy. I mean, I, I guess hindsight is twenty twenty now, but I... It, you're right, it didn't make sense at the time. I see what they were trying to do, and it is surprising that the last 55 laps of that race went totally green. There were no other incidents there, but it just didn't make sense, at least looking back on it now, to, to really risk throwing that playoff point away. Yeah, I mean, I guess the argument is, I guess at a typical, like if it was a mile-and-a-half race, right, or mile-and-a-half track, typically the stages have been, 
you know, a quarter of the race, a quarter of the race, and then you have the entire second half of the race. Here, it was more, much more of like a third, a third, a third, sort of, because it was, I think, 50 laps, 50 laps, 60 laps. And by the time, as you mentioned, that they went green for the final stage, it was really only like a, a 50 lap run or 55 lap run or whatever, right? So, um, there's, they probably thought, well, there's not going to be enough time for us to overcome this. And it's such a track position day, um, that, you know, we would be too far behind, but still it's sort of like, I just feel like why not keep piling up those playoff points? They're going to be so valuable, get all you can get and worry about the next step later. I, I, it's, it's a different strategy for their team because they have such a big lead. I, I'm not saying I would recommend that for all teams. Like if you were, you know, even like in the Kyle Busch situation heading into today, you've got to start getting wins. You've got to start getting playoff points that, that you're going to be able to compete with the Truexes. But if you have a big lead, you don't need to take gambles like that. That's, that's my point. No, I agree with you there. And I mean, you look at a guy like Clint Boyer, who's really struggled this season to, to build on that consistency and get those stage points. I think he won his first stage of the whole season today uh, by, by winning stage two when Truex and all those other leaders uh, peeled off. Boyer still ended up holding on for a sixth place finish. Um, and he, he had a good car. I think that's probably the most complete race I've, I've seen from that team this season. Um, but you, you expect guys like that to, to really go for those risks and, and to go for those big point stays. So Truex trying to, to make that move and all those leaders pitting, I guess, with about 40 or so, 45 or so to go. Kyle Busch was able to hold, or I guess it was 35 to go, I'm sorry. Um, and then Kyle Busch was able to go another 10 laps. And that fresh rubber really paid huge dividends at the end. I mean, he was, I think, in a matter of just a few laps, he, he put a six-second gap on the field um, on cars that were competitive all day and cars that were um, just fast. And the fact that he was able to pull away as quickly as he was, I think, really underscored the advantage that those fresh tires gave him. Who do you see right now? Um, we've talked about Kyle Busch. Talk about Truex. Do you do you still feel like Larson is one of the guys to beat at this time? Because um, he had been doing really well, and in the last couple of weeks he's sort of fallen off. But it's only two weeks that he's fallen off with speed. Of course, there's been incidents that hampered um, his runs, but it's it just seemed like he hadn't been as fast like at Indy um, and and here at Pocono. I don't know, but you know these are different kind of tracks. I'm I'm kind of torn whether uh, I'm still on the Larson train or not. Well, it's funny because. You talked about how if Kyle's if Kyle Busch is fast at Indian and Pocono, then you expect him to be fast at Michigan. Well, Michigan and and California are the two tracks that Larson's won at, and he's run really well there. But for some reason, I mean, he had speed coming into today. He was second quickest in final practice yesterday, but really in the race, he was never a guy to to beat. He was he was he was probably a top five car. He was definitely a top ten car, but he wasn't in that. Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex range. I don't know if it's necessarily concerning, but I don't know if he's he's. There's definitely something that's fallen off there. I don't know what it is, um, but I think they really need to to figure it out quickly before it snowballs because it's really easy to get behind in the sport and you get a couple of bad races together and all of a sudden you're in a lot deeper trouble than you than you thought you were. Um, they were able to get back out there and salvage something today, but um, but obviously a, a broken drive shaft wasn't what they needed. Um, and going forward, you figure that he's going to be a contender again at Michigan as long as they can 
get back on the same page that they were back in June and leading up to these last couple of weeks. If they don't, they're going to be in really deep trouble, especially now that they're, what, 85 points behind Truex in the, in the point standings. That's, that's going to snowball real quickly, too. Yeah, and obviously, um, if they can't catch Truex, that would be another five-point gap um, that Truex would get over them because they'd get 10 points, uh, 10 playoff points for finishing second in the standings. Um, although Harvick is start, starting to nip at Larson's heels for second now. So um, anyway, very interesting stuff. I, th- I do think that, you know, Larson, the Michigan in two weeks will be a big test for Larson. Like if, you know, it's going to be tough to tell at the road course, obviously, but if NASCAR goes to Michigan and Larson is not as good as he usually is where, like you said, those are the Michigan and Fontana, are the only two tracks he's won at, um, then it's sort of like, whoa, what's going on here? Are they off that? I think that would raise a lot of questions. Um, and it, it's sort of raised a lot of questions already for like team Penske, people like that, where they've been struggling for a while. Joey Logano had a bad day. Um, Brad Keselowski was able to finish fifth, but it's, he said afterwards, he's still lacking speed. So it's interesting how, um, and obviously the Hendrick cars as well. I mean, Dale Jr. said after the race, I went and talked to him and he's like, you know, he was super pumped that they put together a complete race and everything kind of fell into place. Like, I mean, they had a speeding penalty early, but he overcame that. And, but he was saying, man, those top few guys in speed, I mean, we just don't have it. And it's not something you can get during a race weekend. That's something that comes from the shop. Like you can't just go in the garage, make some adjustments. That's, they're getting beat in some areas. So really feel like, you know, Harvick, at least I can't speak for all of SHR, but Harvick and the Toyotas sort of just like last year. And I guess now maybe you throw Larson into there, uh, into the mix, but as we were starting to get down toward the fall, those are the ones that I'm looking at again. The good news for Harvick is he's, he's still maintaining that momentum. He hasn't really lost anything. He's still consistent. He's as consistent as he was two years ago. He's as consistent as he was last year. You know, he's he's putting good days together and finishing them. He's not he's maybe he's not going out and winning every every weekend, but he's putting top five runs together. He's putting top ten runs together, and he's finishing where at least he should. Larson the last couple of weeks has not. Um, and, and just go back to the Hendrick guys. I mean, Chase Elliott has been the best consist. He's been one of the, I, I would say him and Jimmy have been the, the best cars from that stable all year long. Um, and even then they're starting to fall off. And then all of a sudden you get Johnson out, uh, because of a, a little bit of contact with, with Casey Kane there. I know there was some contact, uh, that he suffered before that, but obviously a DNF, was it wasn't great for him and then the Hendrick guys I think all finished together uh yeah 10th through 12th with uh Chase Casey and Dale I think that was a good run for Casey Kane I think um because he was he made it to the last round in qualifying and he needed he definitely needed that coming off of the wind in Indianapolis to kind of build on it and to finish 11th I thought that that's a solid day for that team but again, they don't have the speed that's going to carry them through the playoffs by any means. And I think you can argue to say that's the case for Jimmy Johnson, too. I You can never count Jimmy Johnson out of anything. But if, if that speed's not there, they, the, Johnson can only go as far as the speed will take him. Right, and that's a good point. And that's why you even look at like the JGR rookies. I mean, Suarez, 7th, Eric Jones, 8th. Um, so every top, every Toyota that in that alliance, they were all in the, um, in the top 10, right. Or all in the top nine. Yeah. 
Every single one of them. All four JGR cars. Is that right? And the that's right. Wow, that's it's a heck of a day right there. I mean, so the Toyotas are, are seemingly there. Um, and I third I heard somebody say that it was like the third straight uh, top ten for Suarez in a row too. That's right. And I mean, he's been flying under the radar all, radar all season long. But three top tens in a row at three really different racetracks. You got Loudon, which is the flat mile track, um, Indy, and now Pocono. That's a and, and Indy and Pocono are so different and so challenging in their own ways. For a guy who was thrown into a position where he had no business being thrown into, he's done a phenomenal job this year, and I really think he's been outperforming all the expectations that could have been placed on him. Um, Eric Jones, I think he's been he he's trying he's starting to find a little bit of consistency. Obviously, he got caught up in the wreck last week, but he needs to have more runs like he's had here today. Uh, he he ran here he ran well here back in June. I think he finished third, um, and he had a he had a top five car all day that day, and he capitalized on that. And he had a top ten car here today, and he capitalized on that. If he so you see the Toyotas continuing to just get better and better and better and especially that young talent they're going to be dangerous in the near future so um today was the first day where nascar tried this uh same day qualifying for cup uh kind of weird for me honestly um i felt like it kind of took away from the vibe of race day a little bit or it felt like a weird race day where um so i went out for the tweet up like normal um, and you were there and hung out for a while. Um, and, but then you get it, you go back in and qualifying starts. So they do qualifying and then there's like 45 minutes of downtime. And then you have like the driver's meeting and then the driver's meeting goes and it's already one thirty by that time. And there's just like 90 more minutes of like just dead time. And everybody's just kind of milling around. I was looking up in the stands. A lot of fans were already just kind of sitting there waiting. Nothing's going on. You know, it's just kind of like, wow, this is weird. And then on pit road before the race, like everybody's just kind of chill. It just didn't seem like race day, like a big atmosphere race day. And I don't know. It's kind of weird. I feel like I, I, I do think there's a lot of positives to the same day qualifying. Like fans of the tweet up were telling you and me that um, some of them had never seen qualifying because they, they're, they're not people that come for the whole weekend. They just come for race day. So this was a bonus for them. They thought that was cool. And obviously it gives people extra time at home with their family and cup doesn't need to be to have three day shows at, at some of these places, but I don't know. It's just, uh, maybe if they could tighten up the schedule again, I, you know, I wouldn't like the late start time so much. If they could tighten it up, that'd be a little bit better. But what, what was your impression of how this race day went? Personally, I liked it a lot. I liked this format. I like the way that everything ran, but I do agree that, maybe the intensity of a race day was definitely d diminished by that a little bit because you know everyone there's something going on all day and it feels more like a saturday at the racetrack than it does a sunday i don't know if that's a bad thing because you get i think i saw on on that you had even tweeted out that you know fans feel like they're getting more for their buck and i agree with that because you're seeing more cars you're seeing cars on track more than what you originally expected to. So I think that's a definite plus and you're you're seeing the drivers maybe spend more time with the fans on pit road during what would normally be 
you know, time spent with their families, time spent in the motor coaches. And so they're not, so they're more involved. They're more, there's more going on for everybody, but it, there was definitely things that can be improved on it. You know, I, I think sponsor commitments are going to be a little bit more challenging. Um, like I think Brad was talking about yesterday that the, the fact that, you know, there's, they're going to have to take care of a lot more hospitality meetings and in a lot shorter time periods. And that's probably going to be pretty challenging. Uh, tracks like Watton's Glen or, or some of the bigger tracks where it takes a little bit longer to get from place to place. So it's going to be interesting how it works out going forward, but I definitely see it mostly as a positive than any, than any of the negatives that it provides so far. So Pocono Raceway had a leadership change. Um, Brandon Nikdalski went to work for NASCAR and his brother Nick took over as a CEO. Um, what's your impression of how that change will affect anything around here? You're obviously a local guy. You're going to all the events that the track has here. Um, will this be, you know, will regular fans see any change from how Pocono usually is? I spoke with Ben May, who is the new president, um, and Nick Igdalski, I guess it was last week um, when the change was announced. And after talking with them, I really don't see anything changing. Uh, they were both really key parts in making and helping shape what today's policies at Pocono Raceway already are. So I don't really think it's going to change too much of what we see here. I think the fans have seen so many positive changes here over the last few years. Uh, and a lot in part has had to do with the fact that Nick and Ben were already involved with those decision-making processes. Nick isn't as big a, on social media as uh, his brother is. And he already uh, has made it very clear that he's not going to be one of those guys who jumps on board Twitter and, and interacts with, with fans that way. But he really encourages fans reaching out to him via email. And Ben May is, is on Twitter. So if you have any ideas or suggestions, they're still willing to listen and, and to willing to make the changes that they feel like they need to make for, the, for what the fans come to the racetrack expecting. And not for nothing, the crowds at Pocono have been pretty good the last few years. And I know we always talk about, or at least lately, we've been talking about uh, – smaller crowds especially when you look at last week at indianapolis but the crowds here are consistently good i think that has a i think the leadership here has a big part in that because of what the track offers throughout a race week and i don't feel like fans are coming away feeling like they're cheated feeling like they could have gotten a little bit more i feel like they're the atmosphere here is welcoming the atmosphere in the fan fest is what you expect as a fan. There's so much to do in the area, and there's so much to do in the infield. You have that bark park for your dogs. You have the infield block party Friday and Saturday night where they're bringing out live music. The fan fest here on Friday night was was a hit, I thought. Um, I mean, you bring Dale Earnhardt Jr. out, and things are typically going to go pretty well. But I, I really think that the future of Pocono is in good hands now. Um, even with Brandon out of the picture. So uh, some people might be listening to this podcast, and I'll, I'll just uh, project what I think they might be thinking. They might be thinking, wow, dude, the, uh, the writer from the Pocono record like knows a shit ton about racing. Like, what the heck? Because honestly, I mean, the, the state of newspapers today, 
you go to some markets and like really big newspapers with huge sports staffs don't have anybody that knows a single thing about NASCAR. You're obviously very passionate about NASCAR, extremely knowledgeable, have uh, followed it for a long time. What's your story as far as um, how you got into it and where you hope to go um, with your sports trading career? Well, I was born in Brooklyn, uh, and my dad was actually a huge Mark Martin fan, um, and he was just getting into the sport around the time that I was born, and which which is really weird to think about back now because I my, my dad was a short Italian guy in in the middle of Brooklyn who ends up liking NASCAR of all sports, um, but it worked out pretty well for me. Um, I've I've been a Jeff Gordon fan since I was about three or four, um, and really. I don't remember the first race I started watching, but I, I've, I've, it's really been as long as I can remember, and I've always just had a passion for it. I, I always had just ridiculous recall for everything relating to the sport, um, and I, I went to my first race actually 15 years ago. It was the the race when uh, Dale Jr. and Steve Park got in their wreck on the long punch right away there. Oh wow, that's crazy! That was your first race. Yeah, first lap actually, <laughs> and uh, Steve Park goes flying through the infield, and so that was that wasn't necessarily the part that got me hooked, but it didn't hurt. Um, and so I've I've been coming to races here at Pocono for really as long as I uh, as long as I can remember now, um, and I I just. I really love that I get the chance to cover the sport now, even if it's only two times a year. Um, to answer your question about the future, I mean, ideally, I'd like I'd like to be doing this full time. I'd like to be around the sport as as often as I can be. Um, you know, I've been able to, I've been really fortunate to to get myself into the right positions at the right time. I started freelancing right out of high school, and um, my first NASCAR assignment was a test session here back in the spring of 2013 and uh it was with Stuart Haas Racing and it was with RCR and Kevin Harvick was part of the first um uh press conference that I that I participated in and he was the first guy I asked a question and then the next one was with Ryan Newman, Danica Patrick and Tony Stewart and uh I don't know if you could have a more intimidating crowd as your first uh, for first group of interviewees, I guess, or yeah. whatever you want to call them. Um, but everything went really smoothly. And that was kind of the moment where I felt, you know, if I really want to pursue this, I feel like I, I can. And so I'm, I'm riding this as long as I can. Um, I uh, right now I'm full time with the record. Um, I'm writing about high school sports throughout the rest of the throughout the rest of the year um high school football coming up and and boys and girls soccer in the fall and boys and girls basketball in the winter and track and field and and softball in the spring but but nascar is definitely where the goal is right now that's really cool well i i started uh i know i mentioned this to you earlier earlier but um i started in similar way so um you know i i was covering high schools as my main beat just trying to squeeze as much NASCAR as I could once I realized that I wanted to do it. So um, hopefully that'll lead to good things someday. And um, I think, you know, there's, there's as, as hard as it is to break into the media, it's still um, a select group of people that can really write about it and be professional about it. So I, ho I hope you have a good shot. And uh, it's been fun watching your journey so far as you get more and more comfortable. Um, you know, one thing, uh, if people don't want to write, but they still want to be involved in the sport, Zach is, uh, like you could be going out of, uh, 
high school right into this. Other people could go out of high school right into Sam Tech. <laughs> You're smiling. You knew it was coming. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. no, I, product placement at its finest. And uh, from what I've from what I've heard from the other podcasts, Sam Tech has really been working working wonders for your listeners. I hope so. Um, I mean, I hope that they're getting something out of uh, being an advertiser on the podcast. It's actually the only advertiser I have currently in all across thing because um, they had reached out to me in January when I first started jeffgluck.com and the Untitled Jeff Gluck podcast. And they also um, sponsor, I think, an NHRA podcast because they have people at their school who learn how to like build engines and all the different parts of engines, cylinder heads and all that stuff for not only NASCAR, but NHRA, IndyCar. So a lot of people go there down to Houston and they end up being placed on race teams. I mean, they learn like extremely valuable skills. And so um, they thought that it could help bring awareness. So that's something, I mean, um, if you ever know anybody, you know, tell them to go to samtech.edu because uh, I visited the school and I can tell you it's uh, it's a pretty cool place. And what I, I keep telling people too, what I was really impressed with is that they keep expanding like it was started to be sort of like a high performance they place people on high performance race teams kind of thing but now the skills that they learn there they're being able to apply for all sorts of industries so i don't know if people go there thinking oh yeah i'm going to end up in like aerospace or something but that skill those skills sort of apply they even helped um nasa with one of their simulators like nasa came to them they're like hey can you help us uh set this this part of the seat up or whatever so um, it's pretty cool. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure you've heard about it enough, but for sure. But I, I think it's awesome what they offer for, you know, anyone interested in going that route. So, uh, if, I mean, if you're interested in racing, that's probably your best route to go to take. Well, thanks for the endorsement, Zach. I appreciate it. Now let's move on to what we predict people will say in the, was it a good race poll? I think personally, that because Kyle Busch won, it's not going to be a very high rating. I also think it wasn't like the most amazing race. It was okay. I don't know if it was like that great of a race. As you said, all green, the last uh, last ending there, or the last segment. So uh, I don't really know if it was particularly um, compelling. So I'll let you go first. <laughs> I th- I, thanks. I, th- I think what might save it is the fact that there's so much pitch strategy going on that I feel like that kept fans interested enough. And, and especially the way that Harvick was catching Hamlin there when Hamlin was still out, well, was still in front uh, and was going to be the leader once everything cycled out. Um, definitely Kyle Busch spoiled the party there, as he typically does. Uh, but as far as the, the poll goes, I'll say, I'll say 72%. I know it's high. I know it's high, but I feel like there was enough going on. Maybe I'm just being a homer here, <laughs> but I, at least from my seat in the press box, it, it felt like there was enough going on where it was compelling enough to for people to say it was a good race. Wow. Well, you're, that's a convincing argument. I mean, you're almost talking me into it now with the pit strategy, the late pass for the lead, relatively late, people chasing guys down, comers and goers. It wasn't just one guy out front the whole time, but, oh, you're making me question myself, but I'm going to stick with my original gut instinct here, and I think I'm going to say 62%. Okay. Sorry, sorry, Zach. That's all right. That's, it hurts a little bit. It hurts a little bit, but no, I, I realistically, it's a, it's 
It's a Kyle Busch race where he won by six seconds. So it wasn't it wasn't exactly close at the end. It was just, it, I think Harvick said it himself. It wasn't even a battle. It was when, once Kyle Busch got out front, that was it. So, Zach, uh, as you know, we like to come up with a fun hashtag so that people can discuss the race, talk about things, um, and, you know, talk talk about it with you even. You're, you're on Twitter, at Zach Sturr, Z-A-C-H-S-T-U-R. Uh, do you have any uh, ideas for a possible uh, hashtag that they could tweet? Oh, boy. Uh not really, uh, but uh, let's let's look at this and try to figure it out. Uh, well, we got a whole bunch of Toyotas in the top ten. Tricky hashtag tricky Toyotas. Ooh, ooh that's solid. That, that's probably better than anything I'll come up with. So tricky Toyotas is probably the hashtag to go with. Okay, we're going plural on the Toyotas, right? Yes, with an S on the end. Yeah. S on the end. S on the end. So hashtag <laughs> tricky Toyotas because as Zach pointed out. They pretty much completely dominated the top 10 at the tricky triangle. Well, Zach, very much enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. Thanks for being part of the Untitled Jeff Gluck podcast. Absolute pleasure. Can't wait to uh, listen to what you got coming up. And uh, for the rest of you, I will talk to you this week. I'm staying out um, on the East Coast before I go to the Glen, saving a little cash there, Zach. And um, so I'll be on the East Coast, and then I'll drive up to the Glen on Thursday, I'm actually hosting a uh, serious radio on Friday morning. Yeah. From, from the Glen with Mike Bagley. So on the morning drive. So I'm, I'll be there Friday and, um, check all that stuff out there. So thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you guys very soon. <laughs>